Good morning. So it's a joy to be here this morning. As you heard, my name is Christian McAllister. I am the campus pastor of the County Line campus, which is about 20 miles west of here. 20 miles, 20 minutes. 20 miles would be a long drive. Um, 20 minutes west of here, um, in between Sterling, Creston, and Seville. If you're familiar with the Seville exit off of 76, we're a couple miles south of there. Um, so yeah, really excited to be a part of Grace, really excited to be a part of this movement. And uh, our family, well, my wife and I grew up in Columbus, but our family came from Hershey, Pennsylvania. They claim it's the sweetest place on earth. I'm starting to think Akron is the sweetest place on earth just because of the people. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we, uh, we, I was pastoring out there for a number of years, and, uh, and then we were called to come out here, and uh, we definitely responded to God's calling to do that. Um, I have seven children, so we have a whole brood of kids. You know, there's only a couple here. My wife's up here up front. Um, I am excited to be closing out this sermon series on Philemon. Uh, it's a book that's really dear to me. Um, if you're not familiar with where Philemon is, you can easily miss it when you're looking through the New Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's between Titus and Hebrews. Um, if you're using the, the Bibles that we have here, it's on page 967. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, raise your hand, they can, someone can bring a Bible up to you. Um, and uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that Bible. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna be finishing up this series on Philemon. Let me give you a little background. Um, the letter is uh, written, it's a letter. Uh, it's written by a man by the name of Paul. The Apostle Paul, Paul is attributed to writing a number of letters in the New Testament, and, uh, and it happens that he's a prisoner. He, um, he's on house arrest in Rome when he writes this letter. This letter happens to be a very personal letter. It's a one-chapter wonder is what it is. Um, and uh, it's a very personal, intimate letter correspondence that, he, that he's having with a friend of his by the name of Philemon concerning a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. Um, and so... In this map here, you'll see where Rome is versus where Colossae is. Philemon is in Colossae, which is about 1,200 miles away from where Rome is. Rome is kind of like the hub of the world at this point in time, heavily populated. And, uh, and Onesimus runs away and heads to Rome. Uh, the thought would be maybe he wanted to kind of gather where, where everyone else is and maybe blend in. Um, but but he, he ends up encountering Paul, and, and, um, and then this letter is written. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the, the, the letter today. So over the last few weeks, we've had a number of conversations. One was uh, concerning Paul's context, where, where he was, and the fact that he was con content in his context, where he was. Um, and uh, then we've also talked about the prayer that Paul talks uh, in, the, in the opening part of this letter, um, that the prayer he, he has for Philemon, the excitement he has concerning all he's heard about Philemon and the church there, and, uh, and then the prayer he has that, that Philemon would, would learn to um, understand God more through community. Um, and then last week we talked about the meaning of the names, uh, uh, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, and how Paul used the meaning of those names in, in challenging Philemon to respond um, to, to what Paul had to write about. Namely, that Philemon means brotherly love, Onesimus means useful, and Paul ends up writing to Philemon saying, live out your name, show brotherly love to your new brother in Christ, Onesimus, who once was useless but is now useful, the meaning of his name. So kind of a neat uh, play on words that Paul, uh, understanding language, used. Um, and today, today we're going to talk about kind of the main theme of this letter, uh, what we can draw out of it, the idea of forgiveness and reconciliation. 
And uh, so if you would, take some, some time and, and turn to Philemon and get ready. Uh, we'll, we'll be starting in verse 10. Um, but I just want to start out by saying relationships can be messy. And this letter attributes to that. Um, but, but we know that relationships can be messy because we all are in some form of a relationship, whether it's mom and dad or brother and sister or husband and wife or neighbors, co-workers, right? We all have some sort of relationship in our lives. And I'm sure they that there's at least one that hasn't been squeaky clean for you, right? Um, and it's interesting how the world wants us to believe that messy is okay when it comes to relationship, right? Um, statistics show that divorce is happening more and more. Um, you know, messiness is okay. Uh, when I was a kid, you would go through the grocery checkout line and the tabloids would be on the rack next to you. My mom would always say, don't look at those. That's not real news. And now... The gossip columns of, of, of everything that seems juicy is mainstream media. You open up Fox News and you're reading about Lindsay Lohan and, and you know, you're also reading about this politician and that politician. It's all about the juice, um, the messiness of relationship. It even goes so far as the political um, division that seems to be happening, the current divide between us. And it's almost like the media wants to stir that up and egg that on a little bit to create even more messiness for us. Relationships certainly can be messy. So my wife and I this week are celebrating 25 years of marriage. Speaking of messy relationships. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'll, I'll point out, you know, Tyler is now married. That's exciting. Um, and, uh, and our own Josiah, wherever, there he is. Thank you. I was looking in the back. Is celebrating today his one-year wedding anniversary. The two of you, congratulations. Um, and here on, uh, on Tuesday, my wife and I are celebrating 25 years. So this is a very popular time of the year to get married. Um, but I, I, I wish I could say it was all just bliss and love and, and you know, tulips and flowers, but it wasn't. Um, so uh, one interesting aspect of, uh, about our relationship is when we got married, I came from a divorced home. My parents were divorced when I was young. Um, and, uh, and that definitely had an impact on me and my understanding of what relationship looks like, at least married relationship. My wife came from a home where parents were still together, but they weren't doing really well. For a very long time, they weren't doing very well. And, uh, and so when we married, I said, hey, let's wait a while before we have children. And she said, I agree with that. Uh, we were, I was 20, she was 19, so we married young. And, um, and I had an example of some guys in the church that I was attending that waited a few years to have kids and they said how wonderful it was and I thought, I wanna do that. But in the back of my mind, the real reason was I was terrified. If this didn't work out, I don't wanna ruin anyone's life. Like, like, like my dad ruined my life and, and leaving my mom. And so there was this hidden fear I had. Um, and over time, you know, we, we, would, we would get in these little spats, these little arguments. Um, I was in the service, I was in the Air Force, and I was gone a lot in the beginning of our, our marriage. Um, I was on, a, on an airplane and part of a combat crew, and so most of my missions were combat related. And uh, um, I would come home and, and had a lot, of, a lot of baggage I, I carried, and I remember one time coming home from one of those missions, and I looked at her and said, we will never have kids. I don't want to bring kids into this messed up world. And she said, you know what? I agree. And we literally shook on it, all right? <laughs> I don't know if you called earlier, I said we have seven kids. <laughs> so, um, it's interesting how when, when God started moving on my wife's heart, it was about six years into our, our marriage at this point in time, God started moving in my wife's heart and, 
And um, she came to me and said, you know, I, I'm starting to rethink this whole no kids thing. And I remember saying, we shook on it. <laughs> no. And we would have these nasty arguments and, and I would have to often come and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said those things to you. It's interesting how over time she stopped talking about it and just started praying about it and how God ultimately moved my heart and now we have seven wonderful lives as a part of our lives. Um, and, and so we're excited about them and what God's doing in them. But I will share one thing I learned through our arguments is our difference in understanding of how to argue. <laughs> um, relationships can be messy. Um, so I would often quickly come back. I like to make myself the hero of my stories just in case you haven't figured this out. I would often quickly come back to my wife and say, I am so sorry for those evil, horrible, mean words that I used in talking to you. And she would say, uh-huh. And I noticed, I was always apologizing. And she never was. <laughs> and over time, that really started grating on me. All right, and, and so I remember one time in the heat of our argument, I was like, why do you never say you're sorry? And she says, because love doesn't have to say it's sorry. wow, I guess I can see that Be because love forgives and it doesn't hold a record of wrong and yeah, love, shouldn't, love shouldn't have to expect a sorry. But yet in my mind, love always says it's sorry because love wants to keep peace, not letting the sun go down on your anger. And once I understood that we were speaking the same language using different words, our arguments took a, a, a turn. Um, it's interesting, God has designed us to be in relationship with him. That's part of God's design. He wants us to be in relationship with him and he's designed us to be in relationship with one another. But it certainly can be messy. So what do we do when, when our relationships are messy? I am quite sure that someone in this room has probably wronged someone else. I'm also quite sure that there are people in this room that have been wronged. I'm, I'm guessing some of the times when we think of the, those times we've wronged or been wronged, we can kind of laugh them off. You know, they're now silly to look back on. Maybe that crush in middle school or, or, or even elementary school that just went south and, and there's wrongness that took place and, you know, and ha, ha, ha. But then there's some memories of wrongness that absolutely have affected our lives. And, and they hurt to remember. And then there's even the, the memories that have changed our lives. We don't talk about them. So what do we do? What do we do? If we've been designed to be in a relationship both with God and with one another, what, what do we do and dealing with the messiness of relationship. Well, thank God we have this book called Philemon, this little one-chapter hidden gem. Um, when, I was, when, I was, when I was coming back to Christ in my, in my 20s, when I was realizing that, that God, God wanted me and, 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 and I could have a relationship with him, I, I wanted to read the Bible, and so I... I opened up to the New Testament. I decided the best way to get me into the Bible is I'm just going to read the short little ones, the little books in the Bible, right? And the very first one I came to was Philemon. 
And Philemon is so packed with, with richness. And it, and it spoke to me. I was Onesimus. I was the one that, that needed forgiveness. I, I, I was the one that desperately needed what, what this book is talking about. So this book has a very near and dear place for me. Um, so, so let's turn to Philemon. We're going to start in verse 10. Um, it says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I want to keep him here. I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for the preaching of the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. So we can see in this story that there's three players. There's Onesimus, the one that is wronged. He's wronged someone, right? Then there's Philemon, the one that has been wronged. And then there's Paul, the mediator. The, the interesting thing about these 25 verses is there's not a lot of um, detail in the back story. I like watching movies. And I don't know if you um, have ever found in watching a movie that you're really lost because you don't know the backstory. Um, one of the good examples I have of this is, is I, I rented a Marvel comic movie called Civil War. And uh, having never seen any of the other movies, I was completely clueless as to what was going on. Um, and so it's hard to watch a movie if you don't know the backstory, if you don't know what's happening. And if you're anything like me, I go to YouTube to find those answers. And I always pick the shortest movie because I want the shortest explanation. I don't want all the, all the flip, uh, details. I, uh, I, just, I just want the, the basic backstory. Well, we don't have a, a great backstory to this story, uh, the, this letter. So if you'll bear with me, allow me to be your YouTube channel today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill in the details. Um, this is my commentary. This is, this is, these are my thoughts. Uh, there's, there's no proof that I'm accurate in what I'm saying <laughs> and when it comes to me filling in the details because I want to add color to this story, and I, I want you to, to imagine a little bit with me so that, so that maybe as we read it, we can understand a little bit more of, of of what might be going on here. See, Paul is writing on behalf of Onesimus, who is a runaway slave. And, and if we understand the way uh, servanthood or, or, or slaves, a uh, master-slave relationship worked back then, he was most likely an indentured slave, a slave that was, had a debt that needed paid, 
And Philemon came in and said, I'll pay that debt for you, but you will owe me time. You'll work for me. And so, so Onesimus probably agreed to this and became his slave for a period of time to pay off a debt that, that Philemon paid for him. And so um, we read this story, and in it, Paul says that he was once useless, but now is useful. And we learned last week that his, his name, Onesimus, means useful, so that's a neat play on words. But that useless stood out to me when I first read it. And I used to think that useless just meant, you know, he was, he was, he was not really he, a human, he was an investment, he, he, he wasn't a person, you know, useless. But as I've, as I've grown and read this story more and more and, and, and wanted to understand it better, I, I started reading that useless as maybe... Maybe more like Onesimus was the kid in fourth grade that sat in the back of the room and made airplane noises all throughout class and looked out the window and didn't pay attention. And the teacher was so frustrated. What do I do with this kid? Do I, do I, do I tell him to stop and interrupt the whole class? Well, he's already interrupting the class and no one's learning anything anyway, so I guess I could do that. Or, or maybe I just ignore him and we'll just, I'll just keep on teaching and everyone will just learn to, to tune out that noise. And, and that kid is just, he's... He's a distraction and he's, he's not helping in the learning environment. What if I just send him down to the principal's office? But won't that just become the daily routine? What do I do with this kid? And I think that's where Philemon's at with Onesimus. He's kind of that worthless slave. I paid his debt and, and now he's not really, he's not performing. He's not, he's not earning back that debt. And he's useless. You know, while everyone else is working like they should, he wasn't. You know, while, while everyone else was, was doing what they knew to do, he didn't. He's Onesimus. Oh, there goes Onesimus, making the airplane noise in the back of the classroom again. He was useless. And he ran away, and it was almost like it was, it was good that he ran away. Because then Philemon didn't have to deal with him, except he took something of value when Paul said, if he owes you anything, if he's wronged you in any way, I'll pay that debt. It's, it's like something more happened there. The value of, of, of the debt that, that Philemon paid for Onesimus is one thing, but, but Onesimus took something with him. So I like to start thinking, maybe he fell in love with the, 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 the housemaid that, man, she was, she was a, a, a golden charm to have. And, and she was like Philemon's right-hand man. She did everything and she was wonderful. And, and then they fall in love and they run off to Rome. And what's Philemon going to do now? And oh, he's angry. Or, or maybe Onesimus found that hidden treasure that, that Philemon kept you know, in, in, the, in, in the back of the closet that stashed just in case he needed it. Maybe Philemon found that. Maybe Onesimus found that and, and stole it, ran off with it. He took something of value from, from Philemon. So, so that useless Onesimus taking off was one thing, but that useless Onesimus taking what was useful, what was meaningful, what was, what was important to Philemon, now that hurt. And then o o Onesimus, again, this is just my commentary. I'm adding color to the, to the in between the lines. Onesimus is, is in Rome and he's back to doing what Onesimus does and, and he ends up getting himself in debt again and he ends up getting, getting put in prison. Well, it just so happens that he's encountered Paul because of that imprisonment. Now, Paul was in house arrest, but maybe they ran into one another while they're sitting in the courthouse ready to talk to the magistrate. And maybe while sitting there, one turns the other and says, what are you in for, right? 
And, and Paul being who Paul is, well, he, he just shares the gospel. I'm in for the gospel. You want to hear it? Paul does what Paul does. And soon enough, Onesimus is confronted with something that he's never been confronted with before. His friend Philemon talked about it. His, his master Philemon talked about it, but he didn't know what it sounded like. He didn't understand what it meant. And now all of a sudden he meets this guy named Paul who talks about the gospel and it makes sense all of a sudden and he needs to do something with it. And Paul, being a Roman citizen, that's how he got to be on house arrest because he had some clout. And maybe he pulled some strings and said, you know what? Don't send Onesimus to the regular prison. Why don't you have him come and be in prison in my house with me? He'll become my disciple. And Onesimus got to live life with Paul for a little bit and got to learn more and more about what it was to live his life for Christ for once. And in the process, he understood a, a truth, a reality of being a Christ follower. That you have to seek forgiveness when you've wronged someone. And, and Paul probably said, Onesimus, man, I, I don't want to do this but I'm, I'm compelled to, to push you toward doing the right thing here. You've wronged Philemon. Isn't it amazing how God has brought us all together? I knew Philemon, you knew Philemon, you've wronged Philemon, and now you know me. And God wants this to, to happen. God wants to bring you two back together. And you've got to go, you've got to go make peace with him. And then I think, you know, Paul's relationship with Philemon, what, what, what was that like? Because later on, we, we didn't have in the verses we read, but Paul even says, you owed me your very life, is what he says to Philemon. You owed me your very life. So what's the backstory there? What's the color in the story? I envisioned this Philemon who was a street rat, right? Just this the kid that, that, that just had no direction. And Paul came along and Paul did what Paul does, right? He shared the gospel. And in the process of doing that, he said, let me, let me disciple you. And he took Philemon under his wing and he started teaching Philemon how he should live. And, and, he, and he helped Philemon see that he can have direction in life in following Christ. And suddenly Philemon grows up into this church leader instead of a street rat. I can't help but think there's, there's three lives here and they're more than just names. There's color behind those lives. There's backstory that we, we get to find out one day when we get to heaven, and I'm looking forward to that. It's neat to think that Paul stood in the gap when the world would say, you know what, wrong's wrong. Let Onesimus pay his price. Justice will prevail. When you think of it from Onesimus' standpoint, he could have easily been like, look, I am not going back to Philemon. No, I am not admitting any wrong. I'm going to keep on running. That's what the world would tell him to do, wouldn't it? No, admit nothing. Admit nothing. But see, there's this complication in the story. It's Jesus. Jesus enters into Onesimus' life, and Onesimus, suddenly understanding that he has been forgiven, now understands that he must seek forgiveness, and he genuinely wants to seek forgiveness, but the problem is he lacks credibility. And so Paul steps in the gap for Onesimus because Onesimus has no credibility. Paul has credibility. He puts his credibility on the line. The person he knows, Philemon, he says, Philemon, you know me. You know who I am. I'm sending you my very heart. 
I would like to think that Paul would have instructed Onesimus from the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, if you've ever heard of it. And he's sharing, um, and, and I would like to think that Paul shared with him, verse 23, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. If you're lifting your holy hands, worshiping God Almighty, and while you're doing that, that face enters your mind, the person that you've wronged. Stop. It's hard to to try to have a relationship with God if, if you're not having good relationship with your neighbor. Go make that right, and then come back, and all the better and all the more, lift those holy hands to God and worship to him. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I'm sure Paul would have taught Onesimus this truth. But as we all understand, it's awkward and uncomfortable to seek forgiveness from someone, especially when they're not willing to forgive. I think of Philemon, and he holds all the cards in this story. I mean, he paid Onesimus' debt. He has a legal right to Onesimus. He doesn't have to forgive anything. No, take him off to jail. He ran away. And if my story is true, and the fact that Onesimus probably stole something from Philemon... Once again, Philemon has the legal ground to stand and say, no, this man stole something from me. Take him off to jail. Philemon holds all the cards. When we're wrong, it's so easy to lord our position over someone. When we're wronged, it's so easy to, to, to make, make that person that wronged us grovel a little bit, right? You, you know those... those, those um, Significant other arguments we get into, the, uh, the and another thing arguments, or the, the unforgiven past arguments, the um, you're arguing about which way the toilet paper should be put on the roll, you know, well, you need to do it this way. And another thing, the way that you do the toothpaste tube, you don't just squeeze it right in the middle, you take it from the back and you push it forward. And another thing, laundry does not go on the floor. Laundry goes in the basket. Well, and another thing, the dishes are dirty and go in the sink. They don't get left on the table. And another thing, and we keep piling it on because that's what the world tells us. And that's what the world would have told Philemon. Pile it on, man. That guy is wrong. You pile it on. But then there's this complication in the story. Jesus enters in. And Philemon understands that Jesus has forgiven him. Therefore, he must forgive. Philemon genuinely wants to forgive because he wants to do what he knows he ought to do. But man, he's been wronged. He needs someone to step in the gap. 
I'd like to think when Paul stepped in the gap for Philemon, what early on when, when he took Philemon in and, and taught him to become a church leader, I'd like to think that, that Paul would have instructed him in Jesus' words. In Matthew 18, when Jesus says, um, in verse 15, if any believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Jesus goes on to say in that passage that, look, if that person doesn't admit wrong and, and, and seek forgiveness, then take a witness with you. Confrontation is never, it's never fun. And it's rarely easy. When I think of this story, I can't help but also imagine what it had to have been like because Philemon had no idea that Onesimus came back to, and it came to faith. So his first encounter, seeing Onesimus walking up, he's sitting there, he's working, he's doing his everyday thing, and he looks up and he sees that familiar face, that guy that did all those things. He stole things from me. Guard, arrest him. Don't even let him close to me. He doesn't deserve to be in my presence. Philemon would have been flooded with this emotion. In an instant, he would have to make emotional and practical decisions that would affect not only him, but would affect Onesimus. And I can't help but think of Onesimus. The first time he sees Philemon, the one he is wrong, the one he wants to make amends with, walking up, and the only credibility he has is a piece of paper in his hand, delivering the letter that Paul hand wrote. And as he walks up, he says, please, just read the letter. Look, it's from Paul. It, it, it's, look, his handwriting. Just read the letter. You know Paul. You trust him. Just read this letter, please. I know, I know, please. The beauty of this story is the fact that Paul, Paul got into their lives and he got into their business. When I was in elementary school, I, I lived in Columbus, but I, I um. I was on the outskirts of Columbus and I got bussed into the inner city schools. I learned that there's a rule on the playground, it's called the Nunya Rule. If someone has some business they're taking care of and you're not part of it, it's Nunya business, all right? And uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was kind of thick scald, all right? And um, people would have something going on They'd be talking, and I'd walk up, and what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Nanya, what? Nanya business, huh? I never liked it when my friends were fighting. I never liked it when anyone was fighting. When there was fighting going on in the playground, it really bothered me. I was kind of like the, the schoolyard bouncer is what I was. I was one of the biggest guys in my, in my class. You know, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? <laughs> and... Uh, and I would, I would be on the playground playing dodgeball or whatever, and I'd look up and there'd be a fight. And I'd run over there, and I'd stand in, and I'd jump right in and say, stop! Nanya, who cares? I said, stop! That's a big guy. So all of a sudden, they have a big guy standing in between them. They stopped. I really hated it when my friends weren't getting along. I didn't want to see anyone get in trouble, but especially not my friends. So I played the, the, the schoolyard bouncer. Paul is being the schoolyard bouncer here. Hey, you two, stop. 
I'm going to stand in the gap here. I'm going to help, some, help you make sense of what's going on. It's a beautiful story. See, our culture would say, don't get involved in someone else's business. As a matter of fact, if you've ever heard of World Star, there's all these videos on YouTube of people videotaping fights taking place, not getting involved, while someone literally gets beat to death, they're sitting there all holding their phones, videoing it. Don't get involved in that, you might get sued. So the world would say, don't get involved, Paul. But there's a complication in this story. Jesus, Paul understands that he's been forgiven. And if two brothers aren't getting along, well then he needs to step in the gap and help reconciliation take place. Paul knows a lot about this. He's written about it even. Paul's attributed for writing a good portion of the letters in the New Testament. He wrote a number of letters to this one church in Corinth that had a lot of conflict going on. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Now think in terms of this personal correspondence he's having with Philemon, talking about Onesimus. This is to the Corinthian church, but the principle still remains. Onesimus, the old life has gone for him. The new life for Onesimus has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Paul is living this out. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Some translations say the ministry of reconciliation. Paul goes on to say, we are Christ's ambassadors. Paul is being an ambassador of Christ, helping bring about the ministry of reconciliation, helping to bring about reconciliation between two brothers who are at odds. It's beautiful. Paul's practicing what he, what he preaches. We are Christ's ambassadors. Now live that way. It's kind of neat to think Paul's name, as we learned last week, means humble, right? In Galatians 6, we read in, in verse 1, If any believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, Paul's name, humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in the same way obey the law of Christ. That's exactly what Paul is doing for these two brothers. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Paul shows that he's willing to follow the example that the Holy Spirit gave him to write to other people. He's willing to live that example out. He's willing to stand in the gap. He's willing to go so far that it's not just standing in the gap and, and, and counseling and negotiating. He's willing to stand in the gap and put his money where his mouth is. He says, if this man owes you anything, charge it to me. Let me pay that debt for him. 
He's useful to me and now he's useful to you. So let's just wipe that debt off the table. I have credibility with you. Put it on my account. Paul wants to get the very great divide, the physical issue that, that has come between Philemon and Onesimus off the table so that they can even start having that conversation and stop fighting. So he says, charge it to me, I have credibility. The beautiful thing about that is he's living out the gospel in this message. This very personal, intimate letter, he's living out the gospel because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. God created us to be in relationship with him. But see, sin entered into our lives. And I don't know, maybe you don't think that, well, I don't live by the Ten Commandments. Those don't apply to me, right? I, there's, there's no rules that really affect me. I don't even believe in sin. I think to each his own. Do you know in the Bible there's a verse, it's uh, James 4, 17. It says, to the one who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. We all have this internal alt, the, the, the internal ethos that we live by. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder. Well, you've shown great restraint because you decided not to climb out of your car and kill that person on 76. You didn't murder. Good job following that internal ethos, right? But what about that little white lie you told because you came back late from break, you know, last Monday, and you, you said, no, I came back on time, boss. You, you didn't quite follow that all then, did you? the one who knows what he ought to do and he doesn't do it, it is sin. So whether you believe the Ten Commandments are your guiding force or not, whether you believe that there is, there is um, a rule that you need to live by or not, there's an internal ought that says, other, says otherwise in your life. And if you're not following what you ought to do, to you it is sin. Sin separates us from God because God is a holy God and God can't be around sin. And so Jesus... Being perfect God and perfect man stood in the gap. God, I know that you, you want to have a relationship with him. You want to have a relationship with her. So if they've wronged you in any way, God, charge it to me. God, you know, I, I, I have credibility. <laughs> Put their sin on my account. So then you can have a relationship with them. Paul is living out the gospel as he writes these words and sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter in hand. Relationships are messy. But it's beautiful to know that Christ can make them clean. I guarantee there's someone in this room this morning that knows they have wronged someone. Right when I said that, there's, there's someone in here where, where a face flashes before your eyes. You know, yes, that's the person I wronged. Today, make matters right. Settle accounts with them. Christ has forgiven you. Now live that out in seeking forgiveness. From them. Now, some of you in this room have been wronged. (coughs) 
but you don't know what they did to me, is what you're thinking. I know what you're going to say, and I don't want to hear it because you don't know how bad it was. You're right, I don't. And it's hard to forgive when you've been hurt so bad. Understand that forgiveness is a process that starts with willingness. There are still consequences to pay, but you have to forgive. To be free of the burden that you carry, you have to forgive. Paul talks to a different church in the book of Colossians. And in Colossians 3.13, he says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Choosing not to forgive someone implies that you don't recognize that you need forgiveness. So as you're sitting here and you recognize that, yeah, I need to forgive someone, talk to God about it. Ask him where you can't. Ask him to step in the gap and help you to forgive. And then for all of us that are Christ followers, we are called to be ambassadors. So follow Paul's example as he followed Christ's example and help reconcile people back to God. We are all called to do that. Now there's some in this room that may not, may not have said yes to Jesus yet. I'm gonna start out by saying thank you for being here this morning. You took time out of your schedule to come here and that tells me something very important about you. You're willing to investigate this thing that you don't even really believe in. That's pretty cool. And I'm honored that you took time to be here. If you wanna have a conversation, if you wanna investigate a little further, I'm gonna challenge you. There's uh, cards in your, in your programs. Fill out the, the information card and just say, I want, I want more information. Be detailed if you want. And then as you're walking out, you can put it um, at, the, at the cafe or there's some baskets that'll go around. You can put it in the basket. There are people here that would love to have that conversation with you. Not because they want to persuade you to lean a certain way, but because they want to express to you what it looks like when Paul talked to the Corinthians about what was, what, was, what was old has gone away and what is new has come, the newness of what it is to be forgiven in Christ. It's beautiful. I can tell you personally, I've experienced that newness. It is life-changing and it is wonderful. I'm so honored to be here today. I'm so honored to have shared this with you. I love this book and I hope that you've fallen in love with this book too. Please be challenged to go seek forgiveness, offer forgiveness, and orchestrate forgiveness. Let's pray.